Hello and welcome to LTC NAC Chat, a podcast brought to you by the American Association of Nurse Assessment Coordination. I'm Shannon Johnson, your host today, and this is a breaking news podcast. I'm here with Judy Coolis, VP of Curriculum Development, and Jesse McGill, Curriculum Development Specialist. They are our in-house experts, and we are going to be sharing more with you today about the breaking news that CMS released this week on July 31st. I'd like to start by asking Jesse a few questions. Welcome, Jesse. Good morning. Um, Jesse, can you give me a high-level overview of the new final rule, the patient-driven payment model, PDPM? Absolutely. Uh, the final rule came out on Tuesday, and the, the big thing here is that they finalized the new payment model, patient-driven payment model, or PDPM. This is planned to replace RUGS for October 1st, 2019. So we have a little over a year to prepare for the PDPM. But this is a big change from what we have today with RUGS 4. PDPM breaks down and looks at uh, six different groups for payment. We have a PT case mix group, an OT case mix group, a speech-language pathology case mix group, a nursing case mix group, and a non-therapy ancillary case mix group, and then a non-case mix component. And all of these different components are added together to give us that final rate for our residents. And this is going to show um, and base reimbursement on resident characteristics, which is a big change from what we have today with the RUGS4 payment model. Yeah, certainly. And Jesse, I understand you wrote an article regarding the comments that ANAC submitted to CMS, and you highlighted a few principal comments. Um, would you mind sharing those with me? Absolutely. CMS uh, dropped the proposed rule that introduced us to the patient-driven payment model last April, and then we were given a 60-day comment period to give our thoughts, concerns, recommendations back to CMS. And ANAC wrote uh, comments on several different areas, but five of those key principal areas uh, included the extensive use of the ICD-10 codes, as well as the ICD-10 procedural codes. We also had major concerns with the um, Interim Payment Assessment, or IPA, and how this assessment used the first tier from speech-language pathology component and the non-therapy ancillary component. And some of the things that were used in those components, for example, cognition is one of the first-tier classifications, and we had a, a significant concern with how that would be monitored over time um, for indications of a uh, inter interim payment system. We also had significant concern that the non-therapy ancillary, that all of those components were first-tier items that could be used to trigger that IPA um, assessment. And we also, just with the interim payment assessment, had significant concern with the provider burden of the monitoring and the payment penalties that were associated in that proposed rule. And we also talked about the interrupted stay policy, which had um, big changes from what we currently do for our NDS scheduling. Do you feel ANAC's comments made an impact on the final rule? I do. You know, when we looked at the final rule to see some of the changes that CMS made, one of the big ones was in the procedural codes. And when, the, when we looked at ICD-10, the procedure codes is one of our major concerns because currently 
in our skilled nursing facilities, we don't use the procedure codes. This is a completely different manual than the ICD-10-CM manual that we currently use. And CMS heard that concern, and they are planning to add MDS items to J2000 that will give us an opportunity to document via checkboxes the prior surgical procedure rather than using the ICD-10 procedural codes. We also saw our voices heard when it came to the use of um, uh, the interim payment assessment. And CMS is changing the requirements for that IPA from a required assessment that would have a payment penalty if it was late or missed. And now in the final rule, that IPA is optional. And there's no payment penalty associated with that assessment. And they changed the criteria to the, the provider is able to determine when a interim payment assessment would be indicated. So some really significant changes that resolved some of our key issues and concerns with the proposed payment model. It sounds like CMS really listened to our feedback and concerns and addressed many of them. Do you have any other highlights you'd like to share from the final rule? Yeah, you know, when we looked at the payment model, there wasn't a lot of big changes to each of the actual case mix components, with the exception of the physical therapy and occupational therapy components, which had several small clarifications. They provided and answered questions that we had on how is it going to be calculated if we dash GG? And the concern that the new code 10 for did not occur in section GG was not included in the proposed rule. And they have included that code 10 for the environmental uh, limitations if, if we're not able to um, attempt that GG item. And they also acknowledged that since GG0170H is being removed, is retired from the MDS as of October 1st this year, they now updated that final rule to take out the GG0170H, and they're going to replace that with one of the new GG items where we look at the resident can walk 10 feet, which is, which is kind of used as a new gateway question in this new payment model. But the, the nursing and the speech language pathology and the non-therapy ancillary components were actually finalized without any modifications from CMS. Thank you so much, Jesse. This is great information for our members. And Judy, I understand you were there. You were live in Baltimore at the CMS QRP training. Can you tell our listeners about the reaction in the room and if you were surprised by the timing of the implementation of the final rule? Yeah, Shannon, it was really exciting to be in the room at the post-acute care QRP training that CMS put on, the division of CMS that is handling all the Impact Act implementation. And the whole room was on pins and needles waiting for what felt like was going to be a shoot to drop with the PDPM becoming a reality. And, and of course, the, the session ended uh, at around... 4 o'clock Thursday, or Tuesday, sorry, 4, 4 o'clock Tuesday, and the rule came out shortly after that. And so the next morning, there was certainly a buzz in the room as people were talking about it. Um, the, the attitude of, wow, this is really becoming a reality was sinking in. And certainly people that I knew in the room were asking uh, 
us and what we were thinking about it as an ANAC organization and uh, wondering what we were going to do in terms of helping uh, communicate about the rule and getting ready for it next year. But um, as I said, the CMS officials made an announcement on Tuesday that it was going to come out that week. And then the next day, they also made a secondary announcement to let the audience know that it had actually come out. And they were particularly interested in it because of the fact that the SNF rule contained codification of the QRP measure development that they are doing as it relates to the IMPACT Act. So the CMS officials in the room that were doing this training certainly were anxious to have the rule finalized and put out uh, because it certainly authorized them to do the work that they're doing. Um, but everybody else was distracted quite a bit by the fact that in that rule was the PDPM. So I'm it was sure. an interesting time to be live as this was happening. I bet. Can you tell us what impact you see the new PDPM system will have on quality of care for residents? That's a great question. I know we've been thinking about it a long time as we've been contemplating first the impact that the RCS1 system that was earlier proposed that's now changed and become the PDPM system, what that would do. There's been a lot of speculation about how, how care delivery will change or how the focus of change will be under a new payment system. It seems in many ways you get what you pay for. And in this system, I think one of the continued dialogues is the impact that it will have on therapy. Now, CMS, and, and as we know, through the proposed rule and other communication, has been very critical of providers for providing exclusively heavy levels of high-volume therapy. And, and yet, they also, in this rule, identify that they're, they don't want to see huge changes in protocols or practices related to patient care delivery. So it's, it's a little bit challenging to think that there won't be changes in therapy because too much therapy, if that has truly been the focus of provider practices, is incorrect. Uh, so we hope to see a realignment of appropriate therapy, which would by necessity mean less therapy, but what does that exactly mean, I think, is a, is a challenge and concern for all providers to ensure that the adjustment that will take place moving from high-volume therapy down to more focus on resident-focused therapy, uh, we will really need to make sure to justify our therapy and our changes in therapy protocols. So that's going to happen. There's a lot of discussion in the rule about the 25% limit on group and concurrent. And as we analyzed it as an organization for our comments, the current practice right now is, is I think I, if I remember, I've heard a quote around 3% of therapy is group therapy. And um, so this limit of 25%, while somewhat arbitrary, because there's really no evidence-based uh, limit that, that is proven, uh, is quite a bit higher than current practices. And so I think when, as we see group therapy increase as allowed in this rule, uh, CMS is looking that not all residents or all conditions are, are warranted for group therapy. So medical necessity and the appropriateness of needs for the resident is critical. Another focus that I think the PDPM system will have is on a resurgence of restorative nursing programming. And I've been to a number of stakeholder meetings recently where restorative nursing has been the topic of conversation. 
And it's interesting to think about how the helping the residents to maintain and attain their highest practicable level will certainly be impacted and improved by restorative nursing that's dynamic. And those programs, I think, will be growing. And the more that facilities can be energized to focus on the restorative programs, the, the more that residents will benefit. And this system hopefully will allow them to do it. Finally, I think in terms of changes to uh, the system or quality of care for residents, well, I, I'm going to call it a change in the role of the nurse assessment coordinator. You know, nurse assessment coordinators are named that by design. ANAC did not want to focus on MDS nurses who fill out a government form. We really are committed and have focused our energy to to build and to develop nurses who are first and foremost um, assessment nurses that, that drive through the assessment process person-centered care and dynamic care plans. And so one of the things that we see is, is as there's fewer MDSs going to be done, the role of the nurse is the nurse assessment coordinator can be realigned to be to be that nurse that is really digging into the care protocols that a resident receives, what is specifically needed for each resident, and how that care plan is built to meet those residents' needs, and whether the care protocols for that resident are appropriate, the length of stay, and the treatment regimens that they're on. So I think the MDS nurses, the nurse assessment coordinators, have a huge role in this new system to focus on case management, charting systems, and building good quality uh, care conference um, if they're involved in building that care plan for that resident and working with the clinical nursing teams to make that happen. So I'm excited for that refocus uh, of the nurse assessment coordinator to patient care uh, through this process. Yes, certainly. It sounds like a really important role. And Judy, do you have any advice or tips based on the changes you just reviewed and the impact that you want to give our listeners on how to um, begin or implement this change? You know, the first thing that I just want to encourage all of us is I, I mentioned earlier in this podcast about it felt like a shoe dropped when the PDPM was announced and it's finally real and it's coming and it may seem far off to be October 1 of 2019, but that's only, what, 14 months away, and it'll go fast. But I think the most important thing that I want to communicate is attitude is everything. Let's not panic. We can get through this together. And, um, and as much as change is hard, I just hope that um, we can work with each other and team up together to help with a smooth transition. So... Tips I can give listeners is as you begin to think about getting ready for next year, right now there's some things you can focus on, you can begin working on, is evaluate your ICD-10 coding system, how you're capturing your, your diagnosis from the doctors and doing clinical um, decision um, inquiries for uh, accurate di diagnosis. Look at your restorative nursing programs because you will be tapped in this new system for greater involvement if you aren't already doing that. And then think about your charting systems. We're going to be charting for a lot of new items on the MDS starting this October 2018 in terms of new Section GG items, but, but every, nearly every item on that MDS is so critical. So having good charting system and accuracy of MDS coding is going to be critical now and into the future. So 
anything you can, any of these things I just mentioned, ICD-10, restorative, good quality charting, MDS accuracy, all of that is something that could be worked on right now and will set you up for really good transition into the new system. And then finally, I just wanted to mention that as we move into the new system in next October, we'll be looking at our pre-admission screening process. And that'll be critical for us to, to be sure to, as we get those inquiries and we look at where do they fall in uh, presumption of coverage for Medicare, as well as just accepting those residents and um, getting up to speed with meeting their needs in the new payment system. So those are some things that I would recommend um, to help support you all in this process. Uh, ANAC will be putting out a new PDPM MDS hours calculator where you'll be able to look at the role of the nurse assessment coordinator, number of assessments, and look at how many MDS full-time equivalent nurses do you need in your facility. As, as the assessment count goes down, you may be taking on additional responsibility as a QAA nurse, QAPI nurse, uh, case management for managed care and other things. So you'll need to know exactly what kind of hours are going to be needed in the new system. And in some preliminary uh, assessments that we've done related to this, we're finding that the hours hasn't changed significantly with uh, a reassignment of the role of that RN or LPN nurse um, in the new system. And so taking a good look at that in, in an objective manner, I think, will help set you up rather than um, making some significant changes that would, in the end, harm the facility's overall success in the program. So um, ANEC also, we're going to be putting out a timeline for suggested workflow and process changes and checkpoints along the way, getting ready for next year. Um, stay tuned for webinars, virtual workshops, training on ICD-10, training on the PDPM system. And certainly for those of you who are RAC CT certified, we're going to be updating that program and putting out training, particularly at our conference next year. We'll have a lot of uh, opportunity to learn more about the nuts and bolts and the nitty-gritty about the PDPM. And then um, for those of you that are clinical reimbursement specialists or uh, uh, regional or national consultants, um, or if you just are an advanced person in your building in the Medicare process, we have the RAC-CT Advanced Program coming, and that will include also a large portion that's PDPM. So there's lots of challenges coming. Um, we, as an organization, ANAC will be wor working to uh, support members with the confusion and the challenges around making this transition next year, and we hope to have some uh, strong dialogue with CMS to help be that voice for you uh, for uh, smoothing out this transition as best we as best we can. So, uh, Shannon, that was an overview of some of the things we've got planned. We're excited to support members and to um, help them to not just survive, but also to thrive in these changes. I know you always are. And thank you so much, Judy and Jesse, for this great breaking news information. As Judy mentioned, for our listeners, ANAC will be releasing more resources and tools to support everyone through this transition. And you can find them at www.anac.org. Thanks so much for joining us today.